Well, we had a great time in the presence of the Lord this morning, and uh, just a, a word I want to bring with you that I hope is encouraging, and really it's a word that just kind of uh, came to mind, uh, given the baptism this morning and the focus on salvation. Uh, I find in times like that it's really good for us uh, to really be reflective and to ask ourselves if we are believers, you know, just a time to kind of reaffirm our commitment to Christ, and if we don't know Jesus, uh, certainly a time to ask ourselves that question, do I know God? Or as the scripture says, as Jesus says, have I been born again? And so I'd like us to kind of uh, just reflect on that question this morning for a few moments. Um, you know, maybe you're here this morning and you've been uh, attending church for a long time. Or, or maybe you even, uh, you know, prayed a prayer many years ago to accept Jesus or to trust in him. And uh, maybe many years have gone by. But maybe you're in a place this morning, because Scripture says, actually, that even those of us who are believers, we should be examining ourselves to see whether or not we really are in the faith, because we can all have seasons of doubt or seasons of trial, or we just may see things in our life and say, well, man, if I really know Jesus, would I be living this way? In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 15, I'm reading from a modern translation, he says, look closely at yourselves. And he's speaking here to Christians. Look closely at yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you, or are you just pretending to be Christians when actually you aren't at all? And that really is a very sobering question that we need to ask ourselves, and it really ties into our main passage this morning that is found in John chapter 3 that uh, Lillian mentioned this morning as well. John chapter 3, uh, Jesus has a conversation with a man who was a devout religious leader in the community named Nicodemus, and this is what John writes. There was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night he went to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles that you were doing unless God were with him. Jesus answered, I'm telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Jesus gets right to the point. And then Nicodemus asks a good question in verse 4. How can a grown man be born again? He certainly cannot enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time. I'm telling you the truth, replied Jesus, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And I believe what Jesus was talking about, the context of this scripture, is not water baptism. He's talking about just physically you cannot be born unless the water breaks and then the child is born. He goes on to say a person is born physically by human parents, but he's born spiritually of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. God becomes your father. Do not be surprised because I tell you that you must be born again. Now, keep in mind, this is Jesus talking, and he says, look, I'm telling you the truth. I'm cutting right to the chase. I'm not pulling any punches. You must be born again. He doesn't say you should be. He doesn't say this might be something you want to consider down the road, or he's talking you know, even to religious people. You know, everything's going good for you, but you may want to tuck this in your back pocket. He's saying, listen, everything that you are, everything you believe is good, but... You're missing one thing. You must be born again. Now, I know that a lot of us who've been raised in the church or as Christians, we tend to kind of write off the Pharisees because we realize this is the, a group of the religious sect in Jesus' day that Jesus often confronted. He, he had challenging times with them sometimes, and the reason being because they had kind of enforced upon the people all these man-made rules and all these religious traditions. But not all the Pharisees were bad guys. In fact, many of them were very devout, and the Scripture tells us that there were also many who eventually would, would be following the Lord. But if you kind of put a Pharisee in today's context, I think it wouldn't be too much of an exaggeration to say is that a Pharisee would kind of be like an evangelical believer of his day. 
there were certain things they believed they held on to that other religious people didn't believe. For example, Pharisees generally were people who worshiped God. They, they loved to worship God. They believed in God, the God of Israel. They were dedicated to him. They were people who believed in miracles. Not many people believed in miracles in Jesus' day. There were also people who believed in the resurrection. They believed in the power of God, the promise of God. They believed all these different things. So again, in the modern context, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus is somebody who didn't only attend church regularly. He was somebody who prayed on a daily basis. He was somebody who read God's word. In fact, he actually memorized his Bible which was the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. As I said to the crowd earlier this morning, I know that doesn't impress many of us because we've all memorized the New Testament, right? So we're just thinking five books, what's that? Well, he actually memorized the entire word of God that he had in his possession. So he was faithful in those things. We also see in addition that he was a man, if you're a Pharisee, who, who fasted at least two times a week. That's about two times more than most of us fast, right? He fasted about two times a week. He would have given 10% of all that he had to the work of God. And then on top of all of this, I believe that Nicodemus also believed that Jesus was who he says he was. In fact, he took the initiative to find Jesus, and he says this, Rabbi, teacher, Jesus, I recognize that you are sent from God because nobody can do these things that you do unless God is with them, unless, unless they know God. But here's the amazing thing about the story, and this is what I want us to think about today. Jesus says to a man who worships God, who believes in God, a man who prays, who fasts, who gives of his income, a man who does all these things, a man who actually comes by night to find Jesus because he believes he's from God. Jesus says to this man, you must be born again. You cannot be part of my kingdom in this world. You cannot be part of the kingdom to come unless you are born again. Something that you haven't experienced yet has to happen. There has to come a change. Now, I don't know if I'm reading into it. It may just be the translation, but it was, I was kind of meditating on the scripture again this morning. It kind of struck me, the tone uh, in this text. For example, Nicodemus says, you must be from God. And it's almost like Jesus takes that tone and turns it around and says, and you must be born again. In other words, I'm glad you do the things that you do. I'm glad you believe you, uh, I am who, you, who I say I am. But it's got to go beyond that. Something has to fundamentally change Nicodemus in your heart. Or you're not going to be part of my kingdom. And you're not going to be part of the kingdom to come or heaven. You know, I think there's a lot of people in our culture and a lot of people in our church in the Western world who rationally believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It makes sense. They have no problem with that but they have not yet been born again. They think they have, but they have never truly surrendered their life to Jesus. They have never truly given control of their life to him. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, go in through the narrow gate because the gate to hell is wide. The road that leads to it is easy and there are many who travel it. But the gate to life is narrow and the way that leads to it is hard, and there are few who find it. Again, this is Jesus talking, and I love the way Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not pulling any punches. I know what I'm talking about. You can bank on this. He says, the road that leads to hell is wide. There are many who travel upon it, many who travel upon it, and it's easy. Why is it easy? 
I believe what Jesus is saying is that it's easy because it lends to everything you want to do in your flesh. It lets you have your own way. It's dictated to by a culture that says, you deserve, you deserve, God doesn't expect, it's okay, whatever the case may be, you just go with the flow. And you're going with the flow of the majority, so really, even though that life is difficult and it has its own bumps and its own bruises, the fact is it's easy for you to flow with that because that's generally, that's where your culture is. That's the spirit of your culture, what it believes, what it does. You're not really standing out. But then he says there are few who are focused on the gate that leads to life because that's the way that is hard. There's few that are focused on it. And Jesus isn't saying that it's hard in the sense that God intentionally makes it hard for you. He's saying, listen, you are living in a world, again, where the culture promotes all these different things, that if you're a child of God, a son or daughter of God, you know life is not in those things, and you know to truly walk in life and freedom, you have to continually go against that current. Not just a secular society. You have to go against the enemy, the, the, the devil who comes at you and says, hey, it's okay. You can live this way. You can think this way. You can behave this way. God doesn't expect so-and-so. You know, it's okay for you. It's different for somebody else. You have to continually discipline yourself to walk with the Lord and walk in his ways. As you learn to do that, you discover that the pull of that opposite current decreases because you're discovering the truth of his life and you're excited about what you're discovering in the Lord, you understand that his ways work, that they're not legalistic, they're not rules, right? We always say that the word of God is not made of rules, it's made of truths, truths that make life work. So he says there are many who don't choose that way because they think it's easier to go with the flow. So basically Jesus says more people are going to hell than are going to heaven, way more. But one of the reasons we don't think about that in our culture, and sometimes even in the church, is because typically we... You know, we kind of face these questions when we're kind of faced with real life issues. For example, you go to a funeral, and nine times out of ten, regardless how the person lived, what do you hear the officiant at the, uh, whatever you call them, uh, the fish, you know, the person, or the preacher, let's just say the preacher. I just want to take the, you know, pressure off some preacher sometimes. It's other people that do it, other religions. But nine times out of ten, what you hear, regardless how the person lived, they're in a much better place, right? Or if unfortunately they had to battle some kind of sickness or disease, again, well, the suffering has stopped. They're at peace now. Now, I doubt you've ever been to a funeral where the preacher stands up and says, hey, we all know so-and-so's in hell. You know, it might be your last funeral you're invited to do, even if it's the truth. That doesn't happen. But what mostly happens is a person gets up with a microphone, and they'll say something like this, even if they know that person lived for themselves, didn't know Christ or whatever. They'll say, well, you know, God, he's a God of love, and he's a God of grace, and we just believe this person's in a better place. But you read the words of Jesus, and he doesn't pull any punches. He says, you will not go to heaven if you do not repent and are not born again. It will not happen. He didn't say that to make it difficult because he is the way to the Father. He is the way to forgiveness. He has provided a way, but he's saying there is no other way. Unless you are born again, not only will you not go to heaven, you will not participate in the life that God has for you in this life. You see, when we live in the kingdom of God, it's like living in a realm within a realm. We live in this world, and yet we live in the kingdom. We are people, as, as you see in the t-shirts today and our motto for the year, uh, on earth as in heaven. We are a people who actually bring all that Jesus has for us into our world. We are conduits for the kingdom of God to flow in and through us and to touch lives in this normal world in which we live. And we see the Lord do that all the time. 
But it's because we have that understanding that we must be born again. So I'm asking us this morning the simple question, have you been born again? Because it's the most important question you're ever going to nail down. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 7, 21, he says, not all who sound religious are really godly people. We all know how to sound religious, right? They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't get to heaven. Because the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. You see, the decisive question is whether or not your life, your decisions, your actions and attitudes, whether or not they are shaped by Jesus. Whether or not they are shaped by a relationship with God who is in heaven, and you see that heaven is actually impacting your life here on earth and making your life different. If you don't have the relationship with the Father, it's not about the exterior trappings or religious things that you do or don't do. You're not born again, he says. At the judgment, that is when we stand before God at the end of our life, many, there's that word again, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we told others about you. We used your name to cast out demons and to do many other great miracles. But I will reply, you have never been mine. See the difference? No, I've seen the things that you've done, but you've never been mine. Go away for your deeds are evil. They're self-centered. They're about you. Now think about this. It seems that these people Jesus is referring to, they were involved in the work of God. They were doing the things that you would think devoted believers would be doing. So the question is, if Jesus says many of them who are doing ministry are not born again, then how many of us who simply attend church are actually born again? Why do so many people who are not born again think that they are? Why is it that so many Christians in the Western church, if they're really honest, they are totally unsure of their salvation? Why is that? Why is it that so many Christians who attend church Sunday after Sunday, when push comes to shove, they fundamentally still live the way they want? Even if what they are doing is direct violation to the words of Jesus. How can you do that? I was sharing earlier, a pastor friend of mine who retired a few years back, it's about 20 years ago, he said, Paul, we're just having coffee. He said, I've been involved in ministry for almost 40 years. And I've discovered in 40 years of pastoring, fundamentally, people don't change. And I thought, how can you say that? What do you mean? Like, that just sounds so cynical. And he was, he's a very gracious man. But he said, in my experience, that's what I've found. And over the years, I've discovered he's actually right. He's actually right. We definitely see life change. But there's a whole lot of people in the church who fundamentally really don't change, really don't grow, really don't mature, really don't live for Christ in a, in a wholehearted kind of way. They, they believe in the Lord kind of thing in their head. They hope he's there. When he, but there's no real confidence. There's, there's no real clarity. There's no real sense of, of moving in kingdom things. I just thought it was an interesting observation. Now, why is that? I think a lot of it really has to do with our lack of understanding of what we just consider to be the spiritual birth process, what it means to be born again. And I want to be clear this morning. I'm not talking about this because I want to confuse anybody. I don't want anybody walking away from me saying, oh, I don't know if I'm saved now or whatever. No, I want you to leave with clarity. I want to address this because I know just numbers-wise, percentage-wise, that there are a number of people in our congregations today who really, if they knew they were going to leave this world in a few hours, really don't have peace in their heart, really don't know that they know Jesus, 
They don't know that they're born again. And some of it may be because of the way they're living or the things that they do, but it just seems to be that uncertainty. So I want to bring clarity. You know, I've heard so many testimonies over the years that it kind of goes something like this. And they, the problem is they don't line up with God's word, I find. You'll hear somebody say, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I gave my life to Jesus at such and such a time, but I, I, I didn't really change. I, I didn't really grow, you know, didn't read my Bible, that kind of thing, kind of lived for myself. But, you know, then at some point I kind of gave the Lord everything and, and now my life changed. I want to know where that is in the Bible. Where in the world is it in God's word? When did Jesus ever say that you invite Jesus into your life, but you really don't change? You see, we kind of mixed up in our culture what lordship is, right? Lordship isn't, well, he's strong enough through what he's done on the cross to save me from hell, so I'm going to trust in that. Lordship is whatever you say, Jesus, yes, sir. Whatever you want me to change, I am your servant. My life is yours. You gave your life for me. My life is yours. What will you tell me to do? How do you want to shape me? That is the lordship that Jesus talks about. So where in the Bible do we have this notion that we invite Jesus in our life, but we don't change? And then maybe somewhere down the road, we rededicate our life to him and everything changes. I just don't see where that is. And so when we read the scriptures, we see that Jesus actually compares the spiritual birth process to the natural physical process of birth. But there's one very important part that I want to focus on for a few moments that we often, I think, overlook. And that is when a child is born physically, we know that child should grow, right? That's the evidence a child is born, it's healthy, it begins to grow. Spiritually, if a person is born again, they grow. There's growth after their spiritual birth. But there's also growth before the birth. There's a growth that takes place in a life. Jesus said you must be born again. Think of it in physical terms. Has a baby ever been conceived and then born right away? I know the ladies are thinking, I wish. That would be ideal. Just kind of pop out a little pill side, put it in some water, on it goes, you know, see in a couple months. That would be ideal. We'd probably have 50 kids in our homes, every one of us, right? Because obviously when the baby's born, you forget all the pain. Right, ladies? Some guy made that up. But the reality is we know that when there's conception, what takes place? You have a nine-month period of gestation before there's actually a physical birth. And, of course, at that time, there's great joy despite, despite the pain. There's great joy to see that child born. But during those nine months, now, I know everybody has a different birthing experience. Some just pop them out. Some of them, you know, get this thing out of me, whatever. We've all been there. But during that period of time, during that nine months, what is taking place, right? That child is growing. During that conception phase, that child is growing. And as the child grows, the mother gets increasingly uncomfortable. Remember those times, ladies? And for some, it's not just uncomfortable, it's downright miserable, right? It's just a very, very difficult time for them for whatever reason it may be. But here's the point. Is it possible that one of the reasons why we hear about, or you may experience yourself, or we see quite often in the Western church, is it possible that one of the reasons why we see people accepting Jesus, believing who Jesus says he is, but never really growing, never really being in the word of God and being shaped by his word. So many Christians, if they're honest, unsure of their salvation. So many Christians never really ministering anything of the life of Christ. 
believing certain things, being in church, but never really stepping out and seeing the Holy Spirit move through them and touch lives around them. Is it possible because what we have come to call in the Western church salvation is really only conception? Is it possible, if you're here this morning or listening, that the reason you feel so weak, the reason you've been disobedient, the reason you've been at times, if you're honest, unsure of your salvation, or the reason, if you're here this morning, that you know you're not where you need to be in God, and you do things that you know are against the word of God, but you still do them. You even go to the point of justifying them, or maybe even trying to find a scripture to do it. But there's no confidence in your heart, really, between you and Jesus. Is it possible the reason for that is because you believe, but you have never given Jesus control of your life? If you're honest, he is not in charge of your life. Spiritual conception has taken place, but you're not that happy. And you've, been, you've not been born again yet. I mean, if you're honest, I know the Christians who've gone through some things sometimes, and if they're really honest, they'd say, you know what? I don't want to go to hell, so I'm trusting in Jesus. But man, my Christian life is boring. Man, there's so many things I'd really like to do if I wouldn't go to hell for doing it. Does that kind of sound like salvation to you? <laughs> Does that sound like the joy of the Lord? Right? It's kind of saying, like, I'd really like to do this or that or hang out with that person, whatever. But I'm married. Can you imagine how your spouse would feel? <laughs> not for long. Right? That's not what it's about. But yet, how many Christians have I encountered over the years who, if Jesus would let them do certain things, oh, I'd love to do that. And they're just kind of sitting on the fence forever. Just kind of not happy enough to be free in Jesus and yet miserable enough because they can't do the things they used to do in the world. It's a terrible place to be. So the question becomes, how can I know they've been born again? In fact, John says in 1 John 5, I write to you who believe in the Son of God so that you will know that you have eternal life. Well, how can you know that you've been born again? Well, one misconception I've heard over the years is this idea that if you don't know the exact date that you were born again, then you're probably not. Now, I happen for some reason to remember. For me, it was October 15th back in 1971. I was at Queen Elizabeth High School, Barrymore Crusade. I walked from the balcony at the age of 10 down to the front to give my life to Jesus. Grew up in the church. It was the first time I ever heard the gospel presentation uh, very clear in a way I could respond. So that, that's just me. Doesn't mean I'm more saved than anybody else. But sometimes people think, well, I don't remember the exact date. And so maybe I'm not saved. How many have ever forgotten their anniversary? Yeah, there you go, right? Are you still married? Right? We might forget the date. You know, if somebody asks you, spur of the moment, how long have you been married? Oh. Especially if your spouse is there. You know, you could do the humble thing. Oh, you handle that, dear. <laughs> You're kind of guessing. You know, and yet you're still married, right? You might be forgetful, you might be in trouble, but you're still married for now. Okay, so that's the important thing. It's not the date itself that's so important. What's important is the event. That there was a time when you invited this person into your life to live with you, and from that day on, your life has radically changed from when you were single. Hopefully for the good, but it's radically changed. In the same way, when you invited Jesus into your heart, as Jesus said, I will come, my Father will come, we will make our home in you, wait till you receive the Holy Spirit, he will come and dwell in you, 
If we are born again, then we know there was a time when Jesus moved into our lives and he's been living with us ever since. And things have radically changed. Here's the point. If your life has not radically changed, are you born again? If you're essentially living as you please, if you're essentially living by, as we shared a few weeks ago, a series talking about lifestyle, if that kind of more describes you as a Christian, I just kind of have the Christian lifestyle, but what Paul said there, the presence and power of Jesus is not increasing to me more and more, have I really been born again? Or is it possible that I am still in a conception stage that maybe has lasted several years, but I'm not really born again yet? I mean, I've asked uh, Christians over the years from time to time, you know, are you born again? And I've, I've had Christians or professing Christians say, well, um, yeah, yeah, I'm born again. Or, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure. No, no, I am. I'm born again. And you say, well, when was it you were born again? I say, well, I was kind of raised in the church, so I think there was a time like, you know, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I, you know, kind of invited the Lord into my heart. But then there was a time at teen camp. I was 14, 15. And, uh, you know, I kind of made a dedication then, walked the aisle. Or maybe there was another time when I was about 20, 22. And uh, it was kind of a special time then. But, yeah, so it was kind of somewhere between, you know, 14, 15, 20 in there. But, yeah, I'm born again. I don't think it would make a lot of sense. You see, some of us have grown up in the church. Some of us have even grown up in traditions where, we were used to seeing people rededicating their lives to the Lord all the time. And there's nothing wrong with rededicating your life to the Lord. But I remember coming from a different denomination into the Pentecost, and I would see people on Sunday nights, the same people over and over, rededicating their life. And I thought, I don't get this. Uh, do you understand salvation? I'm 14 years old. I understand that I'm secure in my faith in Christ. And you're just, and I understand, you know, how people you know, can think that way, and, you know, they're always dumping on themselves, but, but some of us grew up in that tradition where people were dedicating over and over again, or maybe, maybe you've even been baptized in water, but if you're honest, you say, you know what, but my life really hasn't changed that much. I want to suggest this morning that when you are truly born again, your life changes. Friends, hear me, your desires change. When you are truly born again, Jesus has control of your life. Jesus does a miracle in your heart. And it doesn't mean we never stumble. It doesn't mean we don't have struggles or trials as we grow. That's part of the growing process, growing pains, and so on. But there is still this fundamental understanding, certainty in my heart that I know in whom I have believed, right? And am persuaded that he will keep me until that day. There's that certainty in our heart. There's that guarantee of the Holy Spirit that I may not get everything right, but I am not knowledge, uh, willfully living in sin. If there's sin, I deal with it. I confront it. I confess it because I want to keep walking in the freedom for which I'm set free. I'm not messing around. I know what it means to be a child of God. And if you were to ask me after the service, Paul, are you married? haven't met your wife yet. What would you think if I said, I think so? No, it was easier this morning because she was sitting right down here. So I, I had a reminder right in front of me. But what would you think if I said, yeah, I, yeah. And then you said, when did you get married? Oh, let's see. Well, I, don't know, I think I was 10 or 12 maybe. Then there was a time at youth camp. And then when I was 23, 24, I stood at an altar. Yeah, yeah. 14, 24, in there somewhere. What would you think? You'd think you're dead, right? Especially if your wife is sitting there. 
It wouldn't make sense. I think a lot of people in the body of Christ even are miserable. They're uncomfortable. They're not fulfilled. They're not free. They're not filled with joy because they've never moved beyond the conception stage. They don't understand that when you are born again, you receive power to change. You see, it's not about you having to change yourself. It's understanding that God himself has the power to change you. What you need to do is give him control. That's where it starts. And it doesn't mean change doesn't come with you working too because we begin to partner with him and what he's speaking to us about what he wants to do. We submit to him, his power is released, and we, we see ourselves growing from strength to strength. But it begins with us giving him complete control of our life. That's our responsibility. And if you don't give him control, your life will not change. You may rationally believe in him, kind of like Bethany shared this morning. You may even find yourself in a worship service, and everyone around you is worshiping and seems to be free, and they're, they're joyful, and you're just, you're just standing there kind of like, I feel miserable. Like, why can't I enter into this? What, what's wrong with me? What's, whatever. Have you been born again? I hear people say, well, I was saved, but I didn't change. Again, you don't have to do the changing on your own. Paul said this, as we read earlier. He said, do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? And I think fundamentally that describes what it means to be born again. That is my question to you this morning. Do you feel the presence and power of Jesus in you more and more? If you do, then you're his. If you don't, I want to encourage you this morning to nail that down. If you're just visiting, if you've never been to church, you've never heard a gospel presentation, if you're here and you've been sitting in the pew for years and yet you don't have that certainty, friends, there is no shame to say, Pastor, i got to be honest, I have to give complete control to Jesus. I'm not comfortable. I'm kind of miserable. I know what should be happening, what I should be, whatever. I just don't feel I have the power to be that, to do that. But today, I want to nail it down. I remember a pastor a number of years ago shared a simple illustration. He said something like this. That when we first are born, and physically, we're born going the wrong way. We're walking according to our own desires, doing our own thing, doing what our culture says, what the news says, what our friends say to do. We just basically do our own thing. But in the midst of that, we're still trying to find happiness or freedom or whatever. So there's certain things we know just as a good citizen. Or if we've come to church and been in church, we have a knowledge that there's certain things we should or should not do. So what do we do? We try really hard to change direction. Right? So we put this pressure on ourselves. Okay. I know, you know, I heard that message there, and I, I got to try harder to, you know, be a good person, or I got to forgive that person, or be a better spouse, or, or whatever the case may be. And so we put this pressure on ourselves for a season, and maybe even last a couple weeks, and things are going well. But what happens as soon as you let go of that pressure? You start going the wrong way again. What we need to do is to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm tired of playing games. I want to change but I know I can't do it myself. And so, Lord, I am giving you complete control. And the moment you do that, you know what the Lord does? He reaches into your heart, and he changes the orientation of your heart. He changes the polarity. You find yourself now inexplicably having different desires, 
being drawn in a different direction. And now what you discover as you're walking with the Lord, there are times that you struggle, times you have temptation, something comes your way, you want to go a different way, and what do we do? We kind of put pressure on ourselves, and it might last for a couple days, but eventually we're feeling miserable, and the Holy Spirit says, how's that working for you? You say, it's not. I'm sorry, Lord, I want to be free. Don't want to do this anymore. Okay, confess it, repent, change your mind. Yes, Lord, snap. And we continue to walk with the Lord. If we have fellowship with him, he is in the light. If we walk in the light as he is, we have fellowship and he keeps us clean and he continues to give us power to walk in this new life from strength to strength. And so I want to ask you that simple question. Has that ever happened for you yet? Has that moment, that event ever happened for you? Not how long you've been sitting in church, not how good the outside of your life is. At the level of your heart, at the level of your heart, can you say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I am born again. I know that my sins are forgiven. I have confidence with God. I am growing in God. I know there's areas of my life that I struggle, but you know what? As soon as the Lord brings to my attention, I repent. I walk in his ways. I know who I am. Can you say that? Do you know when that happened? Did that happen in your life? Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.